Okay. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another game day edition of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. We're joined here on the Rebels' first game day since 2014, Bama, a.k.a. the Katy Perry game that Joe and I were both at, and I actually went to that game day with a friend of the show, Spencer, and we decided we'd do a special Dan and Joe game day edition of our show this week. And now we're going to look back on the games that happened last week. And, Joe, I thought not what I thought was going to be the biggest game. Nobody thought there was any real implications in this game, thought it was going to be a snooze fest. But, man, LSU and Bama ended up being something. And, of course, uh, my brother was at the game. Yeah, I mean, that was a surprisingly close game, what, 20 to 14? 20 to 14. And, Joe, the most surprising stat of that game isn't the final score. It's the number six. That's how many rushing yards Alabama had in that game. That vaunted Crimson Tide rushing attack had six yards against a depleted LSU defense. Yeah, I mean, my kind of takeaway from it was that we were talking about in the pre-show, Alabama just did not play a good game. It was kind of like a last gasp effort, I felt like, in many ways from LSU, kind of just them playing a little bit out of their minds, throwing some exotic blitzes and blitzes and some different coverages, you know, we didn't see all season on defense. But they just weren't able to capitalize, though, on uh, the field position that they had several times in the game. Yeah, you know, Joe, when you watch Alabama play, usually they'll give you one opportunity in a football game. When they play a, a team that's got talent that's possible for them to win, they'll give you one chance. If you don't take that one chance, generally they beat your eyes in. They gave LSU five or six chances to win that game. Um, it was almost like they didn't want to win it. I mean, I, I've never seen Alabama give a team that's inferior to them that much, that many chances to win a game. Yeah, I cannot think of an occasion either. And in the fourth quarter, I felt like there were at least two chances where LSU had the ball in Alabama territory and they just couldn't do anything. No, and, and Joe, I mean, we talked about this a couple weeks ago with the Auburn Ole Miss game where Lane chose to go for it five times inside the red zone against Auburn and uh, what had an interception and missed four fourth downs. And I thought in this game, it came back to, to bite Coach O. I know he was coaching aggressive. He's got his $17 million. He's got nothing to lose. He was coaching in his mind to win. Um, but with four and a half minutes left, when there's a number I'll quoted you right there, six yards, that's what they had given up rushing to Alabama. Bryce Young was a little shook by a pass rush. Why on earth, when you get a huge call reversed in your favor, it's not a fumble, it's an incomplete pass, you got three points right there, uh, Cade York is about as automatic of a kicker as there is in college football. Why not take your points and be down 20 to 17, especially when a minute and a half later they were in the same place? Right. Yeah, I mean, you do anything for those kind of opportunities later on. Why not take advantage of it in the moment, especially earlier in the game? I feel like it's all about accumulating points and then giving yourself a chance at the end. So, yeah, I th I'm completely with you there. But I was just – you know, so puzzled as you referenced with Alabama's rushing statistics. I was looking at the box score right now as we're recording this, and just Brian Robinson only having 18 yards on 13 carries. I mean, that's just so uncharacteristic. And that is kind of one of the weak links of this Alabama team, if they have one, is their running game is just not what it usually is. No, I mean, Brian Robinson is a very good running back. He's just by no means a great running back. He's not even close to being a great running back. And we expect great running backs to Alabama. I mean, you think about since Saban's been there, it's been just a string of amazing running backs. 
from Mark Ingram to Trent Richardson to Eddie Lacy to Derrick Henry, uh, you know, Alvin Kamara on the bench. I mean, it's just it, it goes on and on. Uh, and Robinson's the guy, he sat there, what is it? I think he's a fifth-year senior. He's sat through all these guys hasn't gotten a chance to play. And so that told you one of two things, either a, he's just really good. And these guys are so great and he's going to be absorbing all of their, their talent, all of their coaching. He's going to come out and kill it this year, or just means he just wasn't as good as them. And that's the main reason he was sitting out. And it's just that simple. And, it, and you know, and I hate to say it because it seems like he's a good kid, but it looks like it's leaning towards, he's just not in that same kind of level as these guys. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it kind of reminds me like Georgia, the quarterback that they had that uh, succeeded Matthew Stafford. Was it Joe Cox? Joe Cox, very similar. Yeah, Joe Cox was a fifth-year senior. Had been the backup to, to Stafford for three years. I think he may have been the backup to David Green for a year or two. And he just, you know, he, he just never got the job. Yeah. And so, I mean, and that's, that's, that's the problem with this Alabama team is – they don't have that elite running back, and they don't have the elite receivers. I think Mechie is a very, very good receiver, and I think Jamison Williams is a really good uh, speedster deep threat, but they don't have any complete receivers on that team, I don't think. Yeah, they have a couple of guys that would be outstanding number two options. Like, you know, I think it's hard to figure out who the number one is, and they're kind of lacking that element of the offense. Yeah, I mean, and they're just, they've been so spoiled with Devontae Smith, Calvin Ridley, Jerry Judy, you know, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddell, and, you know, yet again, these are good, very good receivers, but they're not that caliber. And, and so what we're seeing is we're seeing a human Alabama team. We're seeing a Alabama team that, don't get me wrong, is still very good, but I, I legitimately think, Joe, that Georgia is a 20-point better football team than Alabama is this year. Yeah, I mean, you feel like, you know, everything's just set out, set up perfectly for Georgia. Um, I mean, I'll say this, because of the name on the Alabama jersey, like I'll never completely dismiss Alabama's chances, but it definitely seems like it would be surprising um, for them to be able to pull that off. That's right, Joe. Speaking of surprising, how about the spoiler makers? I love this Purdue team, man. Every week uh, they've been doing good things for me. Over on the boats, I've been riding high on playing the Boilermakers this year. They keep doing it. They're winning all these great games. And, Joe, they have their chance to beat their third top five team this week. I don't even know if there's another team ever that can say that. Maybe top ten, but three top five teams. And then what's even crazier is they do all that and they have three losses too. I mean, what a crazy team this Purdue team is. And, I mean, the games they've won against the previous top five teams, Iowa and Michigan State, they killed them. And last week at Michigan State, I watched that game. They dominated it from the first snap. And I'm just so impressed by Jeff Brom, uh, the secret $7 million man. A lot of people have been making fun of his contract before this season. But, shoot, if you're at Purdue and you can beat – uh, a top, the uh, what number three, uh, Iowa and number two, or number two, Iowa and number three, Michigan State in three weeks. And if you can follow up this week with a win over number three, Ohio State, dude's worth every bit of the seven million. But Joe, the big thing I want to ask you about Purdue is isn't Purdue a perfect example of why we need an expanded playoff? Well, I think so. I mean, it's another example, you know, like the SEC, the Big Ten is just kind of a crowded conference with four or five teams that are really, really good, if not more. 
and it's a perfect example of it is every year in March Madness for college basketball or in college baseball, you see teams that finish sometimes fourth or fifth in their conference make it to the final four. Mississippi State baseball this year, I mean, I don't think they were um, in the top two of the conference in the regular season. I know they weren't number one, and yet they go on and win the national championship last season. And so Purdue just represents another example of a team that could easily knock some people off if there was an expanded playoff. Um, and, yeah, I have to give credit to, you know, this team with uh, Jeff Brom. He's a guy that the last couple of years wasn't sure what to think about him as the head coach, wasn't sure how the trajectory of the program was going. But, my goodness, he's definitely uh, um, led a sleeping giant this year. Joe, you got to be interested to see uh, the, the highs and lows of the Mel Tucker hype train this year because suddenly it's the biggest thing ever. He beat Michigan. LSU be a fool not to get him. USC needs to be calling him 24 hours a day. Suddenly, he's a defensive guy. His defense surrendered 540 passing yards to Aiden O'Connell, the Purdue QB. Yeah, I mean, that, that just kind of sums it up right there. And I remember um, before the season started, uh, Drew Brees gave kind of a hype speech to this Purdue team. And he was like telling them how he wanted them to be the first Purdue team since he was there 21 years ago to win the Big Ten. And I was thinking to myself, you know, he's just doing that to just to try to motivate them. But, like, when you look at the talent of this team, you know, he wasn't completely uh, that far off. No, and, and something else that Purdue has, they don't just have a very good quarterback in O'Connell. They have a showstopper wide receiver in David Bell, who might be better than any of those Alabama receivers I mentioned. If you watch David Bell, he takes over games. And they also have a very good uh, linebacker. And so for Purdue to have these star skill position players is a rare thing. You know, every now and then they'll get a quarterback like, you know, a Drew Brees or I think, uh, you know, they, they had another one, Bowler, that Kyle Bowler, that was really good. But for them to have not only that and have the wide receiver is something that's very different. Yes, yes. And sometimes you'll see them have like a Rondell Moore, but never usually like the quarterback and receiver together. Yes, exactly. Ne never together. And so, Joe, I think we'll talk about that one in the next segment, but I'm just so impressed with Purdue. And like I said, I wish we had a 12-team playoff because you'd have to put Purdue in it. I think yeah. – I mean, Purdue is what they've lost to Wisconsin and Notre Dame, and I don't know what the third loss is off the top of my head. But point is, I mean, if you beat three top five teams, I can ignore the three L's in the, in the loss column. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, without a doubt. All right, Joe, speaking of a team that's got a lot of losses but is a lot better than their record, uh, how about Tennessee? I mean, last night I went to a Morgan Wallen concert in Mobile. He's a big Vols fan, and I'm sure he is super excited right now because last week the hype, the hype train for Josh Heupel finally had a big, uh, a big stop and celebration and a huge 45-42 win over Kentucky. And what's even more impressive about this, this game, Joe, is if you look at the stats, there's probably no reason Tennessee should have won that game. Yes. Yes, they were able to knock off, you know, a Kentucky team that's been really good this year. Um, I know Kentucky's lost the state now in Tennessee and then Georgia, but still, I mean, this Kentucky team has been pretty talented, good defensive team, and Tennessee's able to, to score and to knock them off. And now kind of the litmus test will be, you know, how they perform against Georgia. I mean, not so much as – winning the game. I mean, nobody expects them to win the game, but I want to see how competitive they are against Georgia. Yeah, Joe, I think this is a, this is a big opportunity for Tennessee because when you pair the big win they had over Kentucky with Florida's just absolute falling on their face against a bad South Carolina team, 
not just losing, losing 40 to 17. This feels like this is a huge chance for Hypel to get Georgia, I mean, excuse me, to get to get Tennessee back in the top two of the East positioning for next season. Uh, Georgia so far, no one has played them close. I know, I know they beat Clemson by seven, but anybody that watched that game saw that Georgia was a three-touchdown better football team than Clemson, but they just played it close to the best. Uh, Tennessee has a chance to score real points against Georgia, and if they can go out there and like even score like 20 or 24 points against this vaunted Georgia defense, lose by 14 to 17, that's something no one else has really done. Yes, yes, and that, you know, would bode well for Tennessee and then also kind of encourage some other teams that are going to play Georgia the last couple of weeks of the season. Absolutely. I think that would just be fantastic. And so I think this is a big opportunity. And on the other side, I mean, what is going on with Dan Mullen, Joe? Did you get to watch any of that South Carolina game? I watched a replay of it. They did like an SEC and 60 thing. And the offense just looked pathetic. I mean, it was poor play calling, very predictable runs. Uh, he didn't let Emory Jones do anything. And I'm just very concerned about what's happening with Dan Mullen in Florida right now. Yeah, I did not get to watch the game, but just follow the score and just kind of, you know, an overview of the entire season. They've just been kind of up and down. And, and some people maybe expected a little bit of a drop-off after losing Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts and um, all those great receivers. But at the same time, I, I expected them to absolutely beat, you know, a team like South Carolina going away kind of in the other, other direction, like the opposite score in Florida's favor. And so I think the, the thing about Dan Mullen that the pressure is going to build is, you know, is he um, the type of coach that can consistently lead a program like Florida? You know, he was always great as a coordinator. Like that was the narrative on him. That was the knock on him is he's an outstanding offensive coordinator. But can he be the head coach that, you know, is in charge and leads a team to the college football playoff? And that's still yet to be determined. It is. And the question for Dan Mullen, too, is the fit. Uh, you know, he's, he's a little bit – he's a Northeast guy, but he's not like he's – he's not a buttoned-up kind of guy. And he, you know, he's quirky. I mean, there's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He'll, he'll rouse up some things. He'll say some controversial statements. He'll show up wearing a, you know, a Darth Vader outfit to, to, to a teleconference after he started a fight. I mean, you, you take a little bit of, you got to know that Dan's going to be Dan. And the question is, that's all good when you're winning, but that's, that's kind of stuff adds up when you're not doing good. And you combine that with, um, his failures at recruiting at Florida and then apparently trying to, you know, control the narrative and not even let media people ask him about recruiting. It's very strange. And I think it's a, it's starting to become a pretty toxic situation, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Next season is really going to be a pressure packed year for him to perform. Yeah. I mean, and I think they, there's no reason they should fire him. I think they got to give him one more year, but I think, you know, Dan's obviously had to get rid of uh, Grantham, which I'm sure a lot of Florida fans were happy about. Todd Grantham-style defense always wears thin eventually. Um, and he had to get rid of a couple other people as well. And so I think that hopefully that's enough for him to keep his job because I don't think that that's a smart move for Florida to get rid of him. But yeah. next season's going to be very telling for him. Right, that's what I think. I think this year he's fine, but the next season he has to um, improve. But, Joe, on that subject of, uh, you know, it's a good decision to keep someone, I was so happy to see that Nebraska is going to stick with Scott Frost. I think that's the right decision. I know he hasn't won the games, 
But when you look at them, they are in every game, Joe. It's just like they're an iota away from being a good football team. And that's a culture thing. And maybe he just needs to get a couple guys out of that locker room and get some more inspirational guys in there that can will his team to win in these close games. And I think that from for Nebraska on an organizational standpoint, you still you gotta you gotta give this guy another year. I know that everybody is so quick to snap judgments now. Four years, you got to get rid of them. But Nebraska was so far behind. It's so tough to recruit there. And you've seen what the guy can do. And he's a hometown kid. He's won the national championship. And I'm just happy they're giving him another chance because, I mean, Joe, they are the best, what, seven, six loss team in America. And they they can go out and beat a top five team. Like, they could do it. They could go out and beat a top five team. They could also lose to a middle-of-the-road team. But they're, they're close enough to me that I think it was the right decision to hold on to. Well, I'll say this. I mean, they're ne- not going to necessarily find anybody better at this point. I mean, it'd be hard for them to get someone that could come in there and just, you know, pull off some type of surprise 10-2 and two season. It seems like they got to kind of build from the ground up. He's definitely going to do that. And I think about, you know, close to home for me, when Ed Orgeron was at Ole Miss, I kept hearing some people say, you know, they obviously wanted to fire him after the 2007 season. But there were some um, – there was a minority of people that were like, give him another year or two, and he's just going to get this program really going with the recruiting he's done. Um, and, you know, Houston Nutt comes in there, and they go nine and four back-to-back years. And so maybe it wasn't that completely – Sounds like that's that kind of coach those guys, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And then after his guys leave town, Houston Nutt's suddenly two and ten. So, you know, kind of going into that um, school of thought, you know, giving Scott Frost another year is probably not a bad idea. Yeah, and, I, and the, from my understanding is they're doing a little bit of what Jim – what Michigan did with Harbaugh is they're making him take a pay cut and kind of putting like, you're on notice, dude. You got to get your act together, but we're going to give you another year to do it. And it's worked out good for Michigan this year. And I hope it does the same for Nebraska because I think they are, they are so much closer now than they were when he started. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're definitely uh, trending in a, a better direction. That's right. And, you know, the last consideration with it, and I think if you're the higher up in Nebraska, this is the main reason you hold on to them. Do you really want to be in a coaching hiring sweepstakes against LSU and USC and Washington State and TCU? I mean, this is the worst year ever to be out there trying to find a new coach going against the big boys. Yeah, this this is definitely a tough climate for it. All right. Speaking of tough, Joe uh, – Dr. Bo's performance was pretty tough against Texas A&M. I started calling Bo Nix, Dr. Bo and Mr. Nix. I'm sure someone else has said it because he just uh, – it's amazing how great he can look some weeks and how utterly pathetic he can look other weeks. I I was – you know, I'd gotten back on the Bo Nix bandwagon, Joe. I was so excited about him. Like, you know, he delivered our first win in Baton Rouge in 22 years. I smoked my cigar. I was all excited about it. He looked, he looked good in the first half against Ole Miss. He played great on the road against Arkansas. I was thinking, okay, maybe this road thing is, is done now, you know. And he ruined a fantastic performance by Auburn's defense. Auburn's defense played amazing in that game against Texas A&M. Never gave up a touchdown. We're relentless. We're confusing them. And the offense was a complete disaster against Texas A&M. Couldn't run the football. The receivers were dropping passes again. They were losing balls in the sun. And I just came away so disappointed in the, the preparation for that game. 
and and Bo Nix because he frankly cost Auburn the game on two plays in a row where he just dropped the ball without any explanation. Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, the big thing for Auburn is that they were in the midst of, you know, a very tough schedule. Obviously, the SEC is always going to be tough, but having, you know, to play um, at A&M after the Ole Miss game, then you've got pretty good Mississippi State team coming into town this weekend. Uh, that's definitely a tough slate. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, we saw some regression with Bo Nix in the offense um, last Saturday. Um, ironically, I was thinking about when you were talking about the first time Auburn had beaten LSU in 22 years. It's been a big a year for you as far as your team's breaking those 22-year curses with the Braves making it to the World Series for the first time since 99 as well. So it's yeah. just kind of ironic. That, that is weird. I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah, so I had to throw that in there. But, yeah, I mean, um, with A&M, like I get their defense is so good. Um, I think I saw a statistic where they're only allowing like less than 15 points per game, which is like second in the country in scoring defense. But you got to score more than three points. And, yeah, it's just the regression from – you know, the performances we saw from Bo Nix on the road at Arkansas and L at LSU a few weeks ago, I mean, this was just the complete ant antithesis. It was, Joe. And even, even in a game where you see the final score 17 points, that's very misleading about what happened in that game. I mean, it was, it was tied going – it was 6-3 it was to three going in the fourth quarter, 9-3, to three, and then Bo dropped the football and that was returned for a touchdown. And that's what started to cause the separation – but uh, Bo missed a wide-open guy on a deep throw for a touchdown. That was an easy pass that would have put Auburn up 10-3. to And I think the way their defense was playing, that would have been a huge game-changer. I can't sit here and say 100% we'd have won, but I'd have put the odds in our favor to win the game if he completed that pass. And that's just – he just didn't make the plays that mattered in that game. Right, right. And that's what you always have to do on the road. you got to make those big plays and convert a lot of third downs. You do. On the converse side, though, Joe, I got to say, I, I'm, I'm very impressed with what Jimbo Fisher has done from taking what appeared to be a disastrous season for Texas A&M, where they completely failed to exceed expectations, where uh, they were a team that had preseason, you know, SEC West hopes, uh, outside college football playoff hopes, and the, suddenly they dropped games to Arkansas and Mississippi State in ugly fashion back-to-back -back weeks, and it looks like they're down and out, and maybe – I mean, you and I had a segment where we sucked to – is Texas A&M possibly the worst team in the SEC West? Yeah. And boom, he goes out and beats Alabama in pretty, you know, commanding fashion. There was no – there was nothing weird about that game. They just straight up beat them. And since then, their defense has played excellent, and, you know, they, they were the better team than Auburn on Saturday. And so I just – I'm very impressed with Jimbo Fisher, and I, you know – I, I got to say this because everybody's talking about it. He would be an absolute fool to leave A&M for LSU. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's definitely uh, in, in a better place. And I'm still surprised he left Florida State for A&M. But, yeah, he does not need to leave A&M at this point. No, I mean, so it looks like he made the right decision now to leave Florida State. I mean, they, they're taking a long time to get back to where they were. Mm -hmm. Right. But, yeah, it's a big win. And, you know, of course, we have a big A&M game tonight that we're going to talk to talk about in just a minute. Um, and Joe, but you know, that was, uh, that was disappointing effort for Auburn, but the good news, if you're an Auburn fan is there's still a lot ahead of us. And if Ole Miss can pull the big upset tonight, there's still everything ahead of Auburn, at least in terms of the SEC, they can still win the SEC West if, if Ole Miss is able to get that big win tonight. That's true. All right. And we'll talk about that when we come back on our next segment. I want to thank all of our listeners, Joe and I love doing special shows on Saturdays, especially for a big Grove day. 
and uh, catch all of our episodes on Spotify. Look up the Dana Joe Sports Show on Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at DJ Sports Show. And of course, like our new, uh, subscribe to our new YouTube channel, and you can see Joe and I do our shows on YouTube. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe.